You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, I normally say you could be seated, but the odds are you probably already are. So, um, so again, great to have you. Great to be here. I'm going to try to stay in my boundaries. If I go out, I promise I'll jump back quickly, uh, so I won't be going too long. I'm old enough now that class reunions are a thing. Um, I remember I, I went to my five-year Citadel reunion many moons ago, and, and showing up, not many things had changed, really, right? I mean, p- people a little bit older, but uh, everyone pretty much looked the same, you know, just five years out, some people had gotten married. Then I went to my 10-year, and again, pretty similar. It actually was kind of scary that a bunch of 32-year-olds were acting more like 22-year-olds still, but... And then I missed my 15-year reunion. And a couple years ago, I went back to the 20. And it is amazing how 10 years, can, there's, there's a lot of change. And so he's showing up, and, and there's a lot of dad bods, a lot of dad bods. Uh, where there used to be hair, there was no hair. There was a lot of gray hair, right? A lot of difference in those 10 years. But there was a lot of things the same still. Same personalities, uh, same guys that we remember being together with. Um, today in our text, there's going to be a reunion, a 20-year reunion. It's been 20 years since these brothers had seen each other. And the last time they did, the, young, the older threatened to kill the younger. He said, next time I see you, you're going to be dead. And a lot has changed for both of these men in 20 years. But there's also some things that are the same. And so what we're going to do today, I, I just want to highlight in Genesis chapter 33 for y'all as we continue in our series, Meant for Good, those things which are changed in both Jacob and a little bit in Esau, but also highlight those things which are still the same. Uh, Because I I think what happens in the Christian life, what we think is that we have just this great experience. We went away to camp, we went to a conference, whatever it is, that there's this great watershed moment that we have in our life and then everything afterwards is different. And all my struggles are gone and all my troubles are gone, right? Everything is just, it's, it's gonna be great and easy. And unfortunately, that's not how the Christian life works. Uh, we're thankful for those great high moments, those emotional experiences. Um, but, but there's still that, you're still, this, you're still you. And Jacob has had a great moment last week we saw. He literally wrestled with God. He got a new name, he got a new identity He's learned dependence in a whole new way now as he limps through life. But yet there's still some of the old Jacob there too. And there's that tension for him because we wanna keep seeing him turn that corner, don't we? We wanna see him turn the corner and be the man that God wants him to be. And we see pieces of it, but then we, we kind of see he's still got the old tension. And that's the same tension we have in our own lives, right? There's newness and there's change, but then there's still that, there's things that are not, different. And so what I want to do is I want to highlight those things in Jacob that have changed because I think they should be an encouragement for us this morning. These are things that we should look for change in our life as we walk uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel, but also to, to, to be aware of those things which are still the same that we need to kind of maybe zoom in on and focus a little bit. And so we're going to look at both and I'm going to highlight three things that have changed in Jacob and three things that are still the same, some work that needs to be done. All right, so what we saw last week, if you're kind of first time with us, is that Jacob, who has been on the run basically for 20 years, he has multiple children now, actually multiple wives, he left because he stole from his brother, he lied to his dad, 
and his brother wanted to kill him. He is now having to go back and face his brother. But before he does, he has this moment where he wrestles with God all night long. And at the end of the night, when, when God dislocates his hip, he clings on to him and says, bless me. And God says, your name now is going to be not Jacob, cheater, liar, schemer. It is now going to be Israel, the one who fights with God, the one who strives with God. And so now Israel, Jacob, is going to do what he's been neglecting to do, what he has been not looking forward to for 20 years, facing the one who he has wounded, who he's afraid of, who he's hurt. And he doesn't know how it's gonna go, but he, he's moving towards it. So let's see what happens in Genesis chapter 33. Read the first couple verses here. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him, so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in the front, and then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So here's Jacob limping, and then he looks, and, and Moses, the author, wants you to see what he sees. He says, behold, literally in Hebrew is see, look, here comes Esau, this big, hairy, muscular dude running at him. It's like Chewbacca running at him, and, and here's him. He's, he's just kind of bowing down as he goes, Right? And, and he doesn't know what's gonna happen and we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't even know why Esau has 400 men. Why did he have to have 400 men? He doesn't tell us. But, but he still, he puts himself out front and he moves humbly towards his brother who he's wronged. And here's the first change. Here's that, that change that's taken place over 20 years in this guy. He is moving towards reconciliation. As scary and as hard as that is. Right, because see this area he's moving back into, it is a, it's a large area. He doesn't have to go specifically where Esau lives. There's probably a chance he could move back and Esau would never know, or he'd never run into him. So it's not a geographical necessity that he meets his brother, but it is a spiritual one for him. Because he is God's chosen man. He is the one, he's, he's gonna be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's the one who carries this blessing. And if he's going to carry that torch, he's gonna be God's representative, then he has to be able to look every man in the eye with a clear conscience, right? And so he moves towards reconciliation. And I think this is, this is significant for us as followers of Jesus because Paul in the New Testament says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we are God's ambassadors. He is making an appeal through us we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. All right, and so if we're gonna fulfill that ministry as the people of God, we have to be able to look in every man and every woman's eyes with a clear conscience. As far as it's up to us, we have to be at peace with all men. We have to be the ones who move. And so here's the question. Is there someone out there, if you sh they showed up at your office or at the, Sam's Club looking for TP next to you? Would your blood run cold? Would you hide? Would you run out the door? Is there a person that comes to mind that, that maybe you offended or maybe you were the offendee? Maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe something you said your last conversation ended in a way uh, just, just wrong and there hasn't been another one. Someone in your family? Someone in your office, last job? Maybe someone in your last church, maybe someone in this church. 
And so I think the change that God would call us to is, is the same one as Jacob. You would move towards that. And maybe, maybe it's a letter that you write out since you have some time. Maybe it's a phone call. Reaching out some other way. The idea, though, is that we, as the people of God, are agents of peace, of reconciliation. And if you're the offender, that you would say, not just I'm sorry, but I was wrong. Here is what I did. I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is not who he calls me to be. And so will you forgive me for that? Super humbling, just like Jacob bowing seven times before his brother. The one, by, by the way, who God promised that Esau would bow to him. That, that the younger would be in charge of the older. Right? But yet he is humbling himself and he's moving towards that. Right? Because in, in some ways, I know we, we don't want to think, be so concerned about what people think. But in some ways, what people, what men think of us does matter as the people of God if we are wrongly representing God. This is one of the reasons we have moved to, to this, to online. Not because we're all scared and terrified. We, we wanna be care, caring for our older members, especially those most susceptible. But one of the big things and decisions was we love our neighborhood. And if we on a Sunday morning put a thousand cars in this neighborhood, which is what we do on a, a typical Sunday, if we put a thousand cars, then is our neighbor, are our neighbors gonna think that we really love them? Or are they gonna think, they clearly don't care about me getting sick. They clearly don't care about our health. And so that's it's one of the things as God's representatives, we wanna love well, right? And so that, that, it does matter to a point what some people think of you. If they think, well, that person says they're a Christian, but they hurt me, they wronged me, they crushed me. And if that's what a Christian is, then I really don't want anything to do with it. If that's the mindset, then it does matter, Right? Jacob cannot be God's representative. He cannot be God's man if he cannot look every man in the eye. Doesn't mean he's responsible for the results. The results are God's deal. We leave those to him, but our responsibility is to move and he moves. This is, this is a change in him and it is good where he used to run and now he's moving too, right? So that's good, but here's, here's something he hasn't changed, Here's something that he needs an area of growth. He hasn't learned from his parents' mistakes. Right? If you notice back in, in, the, in the verses, okay, so here comes Esau, 400 men, and he divides his children among Leah, Rachel, the two female servants. He puts the servants with their children in the front, then with Leah and her children, Rachel and Joseph, last of all. And this is not a random order. This is not like my old PE class when I'd line them up and say, all right, everyone count off by twos. One, two, one, two, one, two. All the ones over here, all the twos over there, Go. He specifically puts the, the children of his servants up front. And then he puts his second favorite wife next. And then he puts his first favorite wife in the back. And then behind her, he puts Joseph. He basically uses those children as human shields for his favorite, right? And, and some of these boys, the Reuben, Simeon, Levi, the older ones, they are old enough now, they're in their young teenage years, to recognize we're kind of exposed out here. There's 400 men in Chewbacca. And where's Joseph? Baby Joseph. Oh, he's in the back. Oh, he's, he's protected. He can get away. Right? And so his, this idea of, of favoritism is still very present. And he has not learned that lesson. 
And where did he learn favoritism? He learned it from his mom and daddy, which is why they're in this situation in the first place. And this is gonna come back and bring chaos to his family. Not only next week, we're gonna see, but, but beyond, because those older brothers in the front, they're gonna take that little baby in the back and they're going to, when he grows up, sell him into slavery. They're going to pretend that he was killed by a wild animal and lie to his daddy. And God is gonna use that around and turn it for good, but that's the chaos that he has brought. So he has not learned from his parents' mistakes, right? He hasn't learned. And I think Jacob misses a great opportunity here his family. Because what he could have done, he could have gathered that little 11 boys and, and, and a little girl and say, okay, here's the deal. That guy over there, he's super scary and daddy was bad when he was young and did some bad things to him. But here's what I know. I met with God face to face. That's why I'm limping. And he told me that we're going to be okay. And that my descendants, you guys, you're going to be like the sands of the sea. So I don't know what's going to happen but I know we're gonna be okay. Okay, guys? All right. He could have done that, but he doesn't. And it brings chaos, right? And so what we wanna do, just a reminder, is we wanna learn from those who have gone before. Because nobody's grown up in a perfect house. No perfect parents, no perfect home, some less perfect than others. You may have had the absentee parents where they weren't even there. One parent left, took off. And so you didn't know your dad, you didn't know your mom. You, you were raised by someone else. You may have had a performance-driven parent where if you won, they were happy. If you lost, they didn't talk to you. If you got the A, they were, they were pleased and they loved you. If you got a C, they didn't. Or maybe you had the domineering, always angry, never good enough parent or the neglectful, just like whatever, dude, go. We'll provide your food. They didn't build into you. Maybe the abusive parent. Maybe the friend parent that always just wants you to be happy and they want to be the cool mom, cool dad. The idea is not to double down on those things. Well, my dad did it this way, so I'm going to do it too. And the idea is not to let the pendulum swing. Well, my dad was, was, was just always angry, so I'm going to be friend dad. Never going to say anything. It's to say, God, okay, it wasn't perfect. They made mistakes. How can I do better? How can I learn from what they did, right? And this is why, and it's not just for parenting. This is why we talk about community. This is why we kind of constantly saying you need to surround yourself with people who can to speak truth, that you can ask questions. Hey, you did long, you did long distance dating and we're, me and my girlfriend, we're doing that now. And how did that work and what was good and what was bad and what do I need, what are the pitfalls I need to worry about, think about? Or you started your own business 20 years ago and how did you know that that's what God wants you to do? Because I'm thinking that way, I'm feeling like you know, maybe leaving here and going here. What, can you give me any insight? What are, the, what are the things I need to be looking out for? All right, you, you, you've shared before, you, you struggle with anxiety and depression and, and how are you handled that? Because that's, that's a tension in my family, that's what I'm wrestling with. How, how did you handle that? How does God work you through that? You lost a job. What did you do there? You've walked through a divorce. You, you've, you've dealt with a, a wayward child and, and just surrounding yourself and learning from those who have gone ahead. Right? Jacob, he hadn't done that. Not in this, not in this instance. So this is why it's so important to encourage one another as long as the day is still called today. So we've got some good change. He's moving towards reconciliation. We've got some, some of the same. He's, he's still not learning from, from those who went before him. And finally then, we come to verse four. So we have the reunion, and it's not what probably we are expecting. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they 
they together wept. All right, so here he is running at him and he gets to him and he doesn't start swinging what like we might think. And the language is very specific. I don't know if you notice, if you're familiar with your New Testament, it probably reminds you of something because Jesus picks up on this language, this very story and telling his own story of reconciliation, a story about a father and a, and a wandering son and when the son finally comes home, what does the father do? He runs, he falls on his neck and he kisses him. It's the story of the prodigal son. He, he purposely takes the same language of here. This is what Esau does, right? And that is a, that's a huge change. The last words from Esau we heard were, I'm gonna kill you. But God in his uh, just uh, omniscience and sovereignty has changed Esau's heart and now they are hugging and they are reconciled. Esau's gone through some transition and some change too. So verse five, when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, who are these? Like, look at you, buddy. Look at all these kids. Who are these? Jacob said, these are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. The servants drew near and they and their children, they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down, Right? Who are these? And, and so you have this, he's looking at this family, haven't seen each other. There's a lot of change there. And so Esau, verse eight, says, what, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Remember, he sent droves of animals, 550 plus of animals. He said, what is all this stuff? It's like a zoo. Jacob says, it's to find favor. Grace is the word in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. This is a, a significant transition, I think, in Esau. Here's a guy who, before we saw him, he was just always driven by his appetite. What he wants now, 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 now. I need, I need, I need. And now he's like, I got enough. I don't need your stuff, right? I don't need your stuff. But Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor. Literally, again, there is that, that Hebrew word for grace, favor, in your sight. Accept my present from your hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you've accepted me. That idea, the face of God, it, remember last chapter, after wrestling with God, he says, I saw God's face, and he names it the face of God, and there's a, there's a kind of tie back there. What he's saying is, this is a God thing. This, the only reason we are reconciled, this is, I see you, I see God at work. I see God at work. This is what he has done. Verse 11, please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough and he urged him and he took it. Notice the word there, he says, take my blessing. What did he steal from his brother? His blessing. And now he's trying to uh, at least pay back something. There's some restitution involved, which is significant, right? He's, he's at least trying to make right what is wrong, even though he can't take the years back. And here's, here's the second thing, I think, in a way that Jacob has changed, and I think it's significant. Notice the way he, is, he speaks now. The way he talks. Who are these kids? The one who God has, in his grace, given me. Right? Before, all he was interested in was taking and stealing and hiding and all these things. Now he's like, no, no, I wanna give. I, I, I want you to have this. I, I, wanna, I, want, I don't want your stuff anymore, Esau. I, want, I need your grace. I need your favor. Seeing you, it's like seeing the face of, of Yahweh. I'm not trying to take your stuff. I have enough. Before I was, now God has graciously given me a ton. I wanna give to you. There's a different way he's speaking that his brother never saw when they were together 
growing up. He never was talking about God this, God that, God gave me this. It's a huge transition, it's a huge change. And see, this is what God does, right? That God, when he, when he makes a person new, one of the things he changes is the way we speak, because our mouths speak that which fill our heart. And what I'm not talking about is Southern, uh, bless this and put a hedge of protection around that and God bless you. And I'm not talking about cheesy Christianese. And I'm not talking about every time you make a sale, you're like, you got a Tebow and you're like, woo, you praise God. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is you used to be a liar and now you're speaking truth, right? You used to always be a complainer and now you're thankful. You used to be a critic and now you are an encourager. You used to be harsh, now you're gracious. Your speech is seasoned with grace as with salt, right? You used to be all about broadcasting yourself. Now you're about building up others and praising God. Right, thankful for things. And, and, and just as a side note, let me, let me be, kinda be thankful for y'all publicly. I mean, we, this past week, had an opportunity to serve our neighbors. Yesterday, uh, we were, our church was able to hand out to 25 different families in this neighborhood, uh, 50 bags of groceries, and, and we linked arms with another church, and they provided some board games for kids, and, and just an opportunity to say, yeah, you guys did that because God is gracious to us. And we have a church who is super gracious, because God's grace to us, uh, we're debt free, so we can, we can be agents of generosity in a time when a lot of people are lacking. And that's a God thing. We need to be thankful for that, right? It's a huge thing. But for us, I think a helpful question is, how are we doing with our speech? Because I think this is an area of challenge for all of us. Probably changed some, but maybe some work that needs to be done um, especially with some of you with kids are not leaving the house now, right? They are home all the time. A little bit more work maybe in being gracious, right? Of, of uh, being thankful, of encouraging, not discouraging, about not being harsh. That's a challenge, I get it, very hard. Everyone's a homeschool parent now, right? Everyone's working at home, right? Um, some areas I think that we need to continue to look for God to change us in us. So that's a good change in him, the way he speaks, Right? the way he moves towards, let me pick up in verse 12. Esau said, let us journey on our way, I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant. And I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths, which is what the word Succoth means, for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And so Esau, apparently, he lives in Seir. Now, if you have a map, you can Google it later, a map of kind of the, the, the area of Israel. Seir is in the south way south of the, of the Dead Sea. It's kind of a desert area. And God has told Jacob, he is to not go south. He is actually to go back into the land of Canaan. Specifically, he's supposed to go to a place where he first met God on this journey 20 years ago. He's supposed to go to Bethel. Right? And he knows that. He made a vow in chapter 20. I'm gonna come back here. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna do all these things. If you do what you're saying, you're so he's made that promise. God has made it clear. You're supposed to go back into the land that I have given you. And so when his brother has visions of them vacationing together, living as neighbors, the cousins playing every day, uh, what he does, he doesn't, he's not really, 
he's not completely honest with his brother. He kind of hymns and hauls a little bit. Well, I got the sheep, you know, the sheep are pregnant. They got little, little sheep and the kids are young. We don't have strollers for everybody, so we gotta go slow. And that's probably true to a point. The kids are young. I mean, the oldest is probably 12, 13. So you got a lot of kids. But instead of just doing all that, he could have just said, look, Esau, I am so thankful that you have shown me grace. But God has told me I need to go north. And, and I have to follow him as much as I want to follow you. Right? And so he goes to Succoth. Now it's possible the text, the text is not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. It actually covers several years we're going to see in a second. So it's possible that Jacob did show up at one point. But why not just be honest right here and say, look, I got to follow God. Right? And, and just... And just go. Just as a side note, sometimes when there's reconciliation in relationships, it doesn't always mean you have to be besties. Sometimes biblical separation is actually a good thing. We can be reconciled. We can be no, uh, there's no, there's no issues between us, but it doesn't mean we're gonna hang out every day. And that, that's a good thing for him because he's called to be in the land. He's called to be in Canaan. And so what I think we see is even though he's speaking different and there's a change there and there's a change in his heart, I think he's still struggling with some of the same old Jacob stuff. A temptation to be like, well, you know, and and be a little secretive and a little hide. Some commentators really make a big deal in chapter 33 that his name is still Jacob, according to Moses, and not Israel. Because they want to say, oh, he's going back to be just like the old Jacob. And I think there's some of that. I think there's a tension there, like in all of us. Just because you're new, just because you've been forgiven, you're born again, doesn't mean everything's easy. Doesn't mean you don't have those old temptations. Romans 7, Paul is like, man, I'm doing the very thing I just don't want to do. Right? So there is that pull. And I think the encouragement for us is this. The areas that, that you struggle with before Christ, we need to be on guard in those things constantly. Just constantly. Colossians says this. We looked at this a couple months ago when we studied Colossians. Put to death... Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked. This was you when you were living in them. But now, there's a contrast, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. There's still this idea where we have to keep putting off. So if you have a propensity towards lying, that's your struggle. It was before Jesus, it still is. You would be aware of that constantly. And every day you would say, I'm gonna put on truth. Lord, I wanna put on a bell of truth. I need to be truthful. I wanna be honest. I'm gonna fight that, that old self that tends to him and haw. Right? If you know that that you, when you're hanging out with that certain group of people, you always end up acting a fool. You need to be on guard about that situation. If you know that one glass of this never stops at one, it always turns into six. And you can't handle that. You need to be on guard with that. You need to fight against that. If you know that, that you can't be alone with your device, with your streaming service, that because you end up on bad places that you know you shouldn't be, that you need to bring accountability to that. You need to be on guard in that area. You know when you get out of community, you always end up dating the wrong person and hiding, right? You know when you and your girlfriend are alone on the couch at 11.30 watching a Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail, 
you know it always ends up in a bad spot. Then you avoid that. You're on guard for that. You know, you know when you're lonely and when you're depressed and you end up turning on your, in on yourself and isolating and spinning further into that, that depression that you need to, to move towards. You need to fight that. You know that if you watch too much, too much cable news, you end up being critical all the time and mad on social media. Then you need to avoid it. You know when you get a little bit extra that you turn, tend to just kind of splurge on yourself and you're never generous and always get greedy and I want more, 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 more. These, whatever your propensity, and you need to know your triggers, you need to know yourself, you need to see yourself accurately. Just be on guard for the old self in that pool, right? So Jacob, he, 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 he's, he's new, he's got a new lease on life, he's, he's a worshiper of God, no doubt, but he's still feeling that pool a little bit and he needs to fight it and resist it, Right? So he's new because he moves towards reconciliation. That's a good change. He's, he's acknowledging God and he's speaking of God. But he still has that pull that sometimes wins the battle. And he still hasn't learned from his parents' mistakes. Verse 18, let's close out the chapter. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and he called it El Elohe Israel, right? which means the God, the God of Israel. Again, if you don't know geography in Israel, there's, it's helpful to have a map at this point. But what we see that's good is Jacob is now following, at least generically, where God has him. He resists the temptation to go with his brother to be that family pressure and he goes, instead of going south, he goes north. And so I think a great change for him is he's finally being directed by someone outside himself. That God has spoken, he said, okay. He's obedient, right? Before he's doing his own thing, now he's thinking of what God says. He doesn't go to Seir, right? And this is a great reminder for us. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, they listen to me. Take direction from our shepherd, right? Now I do think it's, it's interesting, I was thinking about this this week. We often think in the church, well, I do all the right things, I'm good. And, and I think this, this text reminds me, really, the one who comes out looking better in this, in this passage is not Jacob, it's Esau. Now, Esau, there's nothing negative written about Esau in this entire chapter. He's the forgiver, he's the one that pictures God the Father and the prodigal son. He's actually shown pretty, pretty well in this chapter. But yet, there's no indication that he was ever a follower of God. And it's a reminder to me that you can be in the church and, and it's sad to me when you see people that are in the church and they're doing the right things and they're following, but yet people outside the church are more gracious and more kind and more generous than the people in. And I think this is a reminder, hey, this should not be the case, right? But to Jacob's credit, he is moving towards where God has called him to go. Here's the, here's the, the point that he's still the same though. He's still self-motivated a little bit. Because when you look at the map, he doesn't go south to Seir, he goes north, that's good. But he stops in a place called Succoth, which is actually on the east side of the Jordan River, which is not technically in the land he's supposed to go. It's close to it, but it's not Bethel where he's supposed to go. He stops in a place that's, that's called Succoth. And the reason he probably stops there, because if you go there today, it's a lush valley in the, in the Jordan Valley between two mountains. It is a great place for cattle and sheep and goats to be. And Bethel is kind of a dry, dreary place in the mountains. 
So there's a little bit of like, ooh, there's not as much to eat up in Bethel. I'm gonna go to Succoth. And he stays there. And then he moves to Shechem, which is in the land. But, and it's close to Bethel where he's supposed to go, but it's not quite there. And notice the text again. It says, and he safely came. He came with peace. But what we're gonna see next week is there's not a lot of peace. This decision to live close to Shechem is actually gonna be devastating for his family. And we'll see that in the chapter next week. But, so he's directed, but he only, he only gets 75% there. He partially obeys. And I think here's the point for us, is that partial obedience is not obedience, right? It's not. God has promised a blessing to him, but he's also promised, here's how you get it. He doesn't just get, the means matter. It's not just getting to the end, it's actually how we get there. It's the heart of the matter that matters too. It's not just what you do, it's the why and the how. And so Jesus is not looking for our partial, half-hearted obedience. He's looking for us to follow. Because I think in the church, again, I think what we do, we see following Jesus is all a negative thing. What I do not do, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. So I'm not sleeping with my girlfriend, but she is clearly my entire identity, right, all I got. She, she, it's where I find all my significance. I'm, I'm giving, I'm tithing, Right, exactly 10%, I mean to the dime. But does, does everything else you have open hands with, right? I don't cuss, but I gossip a little bit. I don't drink, but I eat a lot of Big Macs and I ain't exercised since 1983 and I don't sleep well. I don't watch bad stuff on TV, but I don't fill my mind with anything positive. I keep my kids from all the bad kids but I never pray for my neighbor. I vote, but I won't pray for that guy because I can't stand him as the governor, the mayor, the senator, the president, the whatever. I never show up sick. I never show up late. I'm always on time, but I badmouth my boss behind his back. And so what we need to be careful of, we always cherry pick the areas that we're following already. And yeah, I'm, I'm good because I'm following here. But we need to recognize the areas of our life where we're kind of holding back. We're not quite to Bethel, we're in Shechem, that's close. We didn't quite go all the way. And this is a reminder, get to Bethel. Bethel, remember, is the house of God, is where God met Jacob. We wanna be at Bethel. We wanna be pursuing the God of Bethel. That's, that's how we are changed. I got my 25th year reunion next year, 25th. There's gonna be a lot more bald heads, Bigger dad bods, right? Gray hair. A lot of change, probably some of the same. But what God is wanting as time progresses, that you're 20, you're, you're in, you're 25, that there is change and there's becoming more change. And the only way we change is we go to the God of Bethel and we pursue the God of Bethel, right? And, and as we pursue him, as we seek him, we become more like the God of Bethel. And that's what we wanna be. We're not gonna, in this world, we're never gonna arrive. You're not gonna have this moment where you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, I'm there. But you can be a lot balder than you were. You can be a lot different than you were 20 years ago. And that's where we go. And in and, and, and closing, I wanna say this. It, the point of this entire chapter, remember the original audience is a wandering people in the desert. And the point of 
the text that Moses is writing. This is why I think Moses doesn't make any judgments about good, bad, ugly. He doesn't say, Jacob was good, Esau was bad. He just kind of reports it. Because the hero of the text is not necessarily Esau. And the hero of the text is not Jacob. The hero of the text is God, who is the one who has guided this man for 20 years through his ups and downs, and he brings him back to reconciliation with his brother. He is the one who changes Esau's hearts. He's the one who has blessed both boys with so much stuff. He's the one who who changes his name. He's the one who gives him a new identity. He's the hero, because he is the reconciler. And for us, we're not the hero. Church isn't the hero. The Lord Jesus is the hero. He is the agent of reconciliation. He's the one who moves towards us. He's the one who leaves heaven, becomes a man, lives a life that we couldn't live. He moves towards us, and then he takes our guilt We were alienated because of our sin. He moves towards us and he actually takes our sin on himself and it nails it to his cross so that we could be reconciled to God the Father. He is the hero. So don't miss that. He's the one who's gonna use all this stuff and it's gonna be meant for good. And he can use all this coronavirus craziness for good. And that's what he does for those who love him. So let me pray. We'll sing a song, uh, and then we'll go and be the church. Father, I thank you for just the imperfections of men who remind us of our imperfections, and we thank you that you um, love them, you pursued them, you were patient with them, you were gracious with them. We can learn so much from them. I pray that we would be a people who are changing constantly, that we're becoming more like you, the God of Bethel, the one who uh, meets with us, who pursues us. I pray that even though we cannot gather in the same room together, that your spirit right now is in living rooms and kitchens and cars and wherever else, drawing people to yourself because you love them. You are truly the reconciler. We're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.